Well, good morning and welcome to a new year. I'm going to do my part to get the service underneath the promised hour mark. Uh, I was hoping that since we had to cancel last week that I would receive an extra hour this week, but <laughs> I was told that's not how it works. If you'll excuse me, I'm just going to look for the clicker up here for a second. I'll use the backup, that's okay. Well, I haven't slept off the holiday meals yet, and I'm guessing that there are others here still feeling the rush of the holidays, so I will do my best to uh, keep you awake and engaged this morning, but I don't think it'll be too hard because I'm going to start off with a, a story about food. When I was a kid growing up in small town western Iowa, before the days of Amazon and free two-day shipping, it was a normal thing for families in our town to take shopping trips to the city. It was a suburb of Omaha that we would go to. So we would head west on a Friday night after work and uh, go on a big shopping trip with the whole family. And there was this go-to restaurant that we would uh, stop at for our meals. At least it was the go-to place when my mom wasn't with us. And that was a place called Golden Corral. <laughs> now I had to look up and make sure that uh, there was Golden Corrals in Michigan because I didn't know for sure. And it turns out there are, so I don't have to explain to you what heaven on earth looks like. Just a big all-you-can-eat buffet, everything from pizza to mac and cheese, fried chicken, steak, soft-serve ice cream, all the good stuff. Maybe you're tired of food since the holidays have come and gone, but I'm still excited about it, and I haven't even been there in years. But uh, yeah, we were excited. We, we loved that restaurant as kids. We could get whatever we wanted, and here's the key. We could get however much we wanted. You can go ahead and go to the next slide. My clicker isn't working here. We could get however much we wanted. And there would be occasions when I would get arguably a little bit too much on my plate. And my dad would see my mountain of food and proclaim the priceless dad line. A line I can't wait to use on my children. Looks like your eyes are too big for your stomach. Anyone ever heard that from their parents, their dad? And then he would give me the instructions that I wanted to hear. You better eat up. Today our sermon is in Matthew chapter 4. You can make your way there if you're using one of the Bibles that's provided in the chairs. That text is on page 959. As you may have guessed, I'm not going to be talking about physical food, but I'm going to challenge you to consider your diet of a food that is much more important, and that is God's Word. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. We have the words on the screen as well. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I've been praying for this opportunity to preach and for this sermon for several weeks, and as I've meditated on this scripture, I just want to share with you the four main prayer requests that I've been giving to God regarding this text and our church family. The first is that God would give the people of Calvary Baptist Church an insatiable desire to consume his word in 2023. Secondly, that God would allow our hearts to loosen their grip on the idols that so easily distract us and pull us away from the word. 
The third thing that I've been praying is that once we are full and satisfied with God's word, we would be eager to share it with others in our city. And lastly, that we would think through how we can accomplish this, this sharing of the word, not merely as individuals, but corporately, so that as a church, we are a people who are passionate about sharing the word and reaching those around us. It's not just merely individuals who happen to be good at sharing the gospel. Oh, that person is gifted in this area. I'll let him do the sharing. But that as a church, our culture and expectation is that we would be people ready and eager to share what God has done in our hearts. That's how I've been praying. But I also recognize that by and large, I'm already talking to people who love the Bible. You came here on a holiday to hear a rookie preacher challenge you to be in the word. You already value God's word, right? I get it. You value the Bible. You've shown it by being here. Nonetheless, there's a battle going on in our hearts, and you could call it a battle between God and Satan, between the world and the church, between the flesh and the spirit. No matter what you call it, there's a battle going on, and it's a battle over what you love. And one of the biggest indicators of who is winning that battle is how much of your life is built on the solid foundation of Scripture. The big idea today, if you only remember one sentence from this sermon, is that God wants you to feast on his words. And I simply have two questions for us to talk through today as we consider our intake of Scripture. And this first question is going to take up most of our time. Question number one, have you considered how our lives of luxury can pull us away from God's word? And if I were you right now, hearing this, a couple thoughts would pop into my head. One, how does this question come from Matthew 4? And two, my life isn't luxurious, is it? And I'll show you later how this question is informed by our passage, but first I'd like to clarify what I mean by lives of luxury. Because I understand the recoil from a question like this. I understand that there are different classes and different levels of income represented in our church family, including many who wouldn't consider their lives to be luxurious. But what we need to understand for our purposes today is that when we compare our standard of living to the relatively recent past and virtually all of human history, we're doing really well. Let me explain. It's very unusual for someone in our culture to not have access to hot, clean, running water, right? Starvation is extremely rare. Almost everyone eats multiple times a day. That would be unheard of among most in human history. Not to mention, you don't need to get very high on the socioeconomic ladder before you find yourself with leisure time that often gets filled with entertainment. And this abundance of time would have been unheard of among most in history. But also guess that 99% of us have access to a bed that's more comfortable than the ground. 21st century Americans are among the wealthiest human beings to ever walk the planet. Routine pleasures that we all enjoy would have been reserved for the wealthiest not long ago. It can literally be said that we eat, drink, bathe, sleep, and are entertained like royalty would have been a few hundred years ago. And I'm not bringing this up to say that wealth is bad. That's not my message today. I'm bringing it up to emphasize 
that we can be tempted by our abundance because of what God has provided us, good things that he's provided that aren't bad to have, we can be tempted to pull away from him and his word. So that's what I mean by lives of luxury, by wealth, by abundance. I'd like to show you also why I believe this passage is bidding us to ask the question that you see on the screen. In our passage, Jesus, by nature of his deity, has access to more abundance than anyone. And Satan knows this, and he tries to exploit it. I know that the passage is simple and familiar. I don't have to explain very many things to you, but consider the actual temptation in verse 3. What is Satan tempting the Son of God to do? It was to make bread out of rocks, to perform a miracle that would personally benefit Jesus by filling his stomach. So many of the Lord's miracles could have been used for personal benefit. Think of catching many fish, turning water into wine, multiplying food. Jesus could have used his power to become a wealthy man or to enrich those around him, but he never used his miracles for himself. Jesus only used his miracles as ministry, according to the will of the Father, in order also to point others to the Father, not for personal benefit, but to emphasize that he was the Son of God and that the Father had sent him. The signs were supposed to draw attention to the Father. On top of all this, verse 2 explains that not only did Jesus have access to abundance by nature of his deity, but also he was voluntarily fasting from food. So he was refusing to use something that he had access to for a time. Although he was both hungry and fully capable of turning the rocks into bread, he refuses to listen to Satan's advice. And the reason is given in verse 4, when Jesus said that man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's a quotation from Deuteronomy. And as we read it, we might think of Jesus' response as a pithy retort, a burn, a gotcha moment to Satan, and it kind of is that, but we may or may not realize the genius of Jesus using this particular passage to thwart the temptation. Let me explain why. Jesus has been wandering in the desert for 40 days, and he is hungry. The passage explicitly says that he's hungry. In the context of the scripture that he quotes in Deuteronomy 8, the Israelites have also been wandering in the desert, not for 40 days, but for 40 years. And Moses is giving a speech to prepare the Israelites to take the promised land. Take a look with me. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, you can just look on the screen. You don't have to turn there. Uh, This did start working, so thank you for covering for me. Deuteronomy chapter 8, you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you into the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. In the text that Jesus quotes to Satan, Moses explains to the Israelites that one of the reasons God let them suffer and wander 
and hunger for so long is that they would learn to rely on God and have an appetite for him. Even the manna, the physical bread that God provided, was a constant reminder of their dependence on God. Because, of course, God only let them gather enough for each day. They needed to daily return and feast on what God was providing. God took away all their abundance. He humbled them so that they would know that man needs God and God's words more than he needs food, even if you haven't eaten for 40 days. Later in that same chapter of Deuteronomy, Moses would explain to the Israelites that God was going to give them a gift of abundance soon, but it would come with dangers. Look with me on the screen, Deuteronomy 8, verse 7, just a few verses later. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, a land of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. Here comes the warning. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I have commanded you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. The phrase that Jesus quoted, man shall not live by bread alone, was more than just a burn. It was more than a gotcha moment. When you look at what that meant to the Israelites, it was the perfect truth to combat the idea that we should use our excesses and abundance for ourselves, that we should rely on them instead of relying on God. Our abundance can make us forget to depend on the provider. Jesus knew that the Father could rain down bread from the sky if he wanted to. He did it for the Israelites when they wandered in the wilderness. Now Jesus is in the wilderness. If God wants him to have bread, he can provide it. Jesus didn't have to step outside the Father's will to satisfy his stomach because he trusted that God was sovereign, just like we sang about. God is with us in the trials. God knows what we really need, and if we need it, he'll provide it for us. So Jesus doesn't have to step out of the sovereignty of God. He can trust that he will provide. How easy it is, Calvary Baptist Church, for us to use our abundance for ourselves. How easy it is for us to forget God because of our wealth and how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Which means it's hard for us because we're tempted to get satisfaction from our riches and forget God. I started out by asking the question, have you considered how our lives of luxury can pull us away from the word of God? The Israelites deprived for 40 years of everything except for God's words given to Moses and enough food to survive each day. They ended up conquering the promised land. And then Jesus, deprived for 40 days in the wilderness of everything except for the word of God that he had memorized, he ended up conquering the evil one. What are you depriving yourself of so that you have more time with the word of God? Is there anything, any sacrifice on your part that shows how much you value Scripture and alone time with God? Man shall not live on bread alone. The Word is our food. 
it would be unusual for one of us to forget to eat a meal or to forget to eat for a whole day. That would be very unusual because our stomachs remind us that we are hungry. We crave it. We're never so busy that we forget to eat for an extended period of time. But so often we forget to nourish our souls with the words of Scripture. Some veer away from strict statements because they're afraid of legalism. Strictness and legalism are not the same thing. Here's a strict statement that is not legalistic. Christians should read their Bible every day. Every day. It would be legalistic if I said, God will love you more if you read your Bible every day. That's legalism. That's not true. God's love is not dependent on your performance or your devotional life. But it is true that as a Christian, you should read your Bible every day. Just as if you neglect eating, your stomach will growl at you. We need to become a people whose souls will be unsatisfied if we neglect to feed them with the word of God. And I'd like to challenge the men in the room, specifically husbands and fathers, those to whom God has stewarded households, you have a leadership role to play in this for your families. If there was a man in our church who was too lazy to work and provide for his family, we would hesitate to describe him as a man. Just as men have a responsibility to provide food for their house, they're also responsible before God and before the church to provide God's word for their family, to be the spiritual leaders in their home. Here's three words for our men to remember as they seek to train their wife and kids to love God's word. Example, leader, and teacher. Be an example. Be an example by letting your family see you do your devotions, especially if you have young kids. Let them watch you read your Bible. Let them see you pray. Normalize it. Talk about your relationship with God in front of them. Don't just be an example, though. Be a leader by arranging your family's schedule and commitments so that everyone has time to be in the Word. This is so important when you have young kids. Husbands in that stage of life with young children, have you ever thought about the fact that if you don't intentionally give your wife extra time, she will never get four hours to herself. Never, unless it comes from you and your leadership arranging the schedule. If you don't plan and lead well, if you don't take initiative, your wife, when you have a child, will go years without being able to dive deep into Scripture, uninterrupted, unhurried. Husbands need to lead by managing the schedule in their home so that everyone has time to be in the Word. Another way to lead is by checking in with everyone in your house and just see how they're doing. See if they have time in Scripture. Make sure that it's happening. It's your responsibility to make sure that your family is fed. But don't just be an example and a leader. Be a teacher, too. Teach by showing them how to study their Bible. Are you counting on someone else, fathers, to put in the hours of one-on-one time that it's going to take to train your kids to study Scripture? This is not always easy to understand, right? Even Peter says that about Paul's writings, that sometimes he writes things that are hard to understand. It takes training. It takes practice to be a student of the word. 
And if you're not going to put in those hours with your own children, who is going to? Are you counting on someone else? Are you, are you counting on me as the pastor who oversees youth and children? Because I'm going to do what I can to assist parents, and I have a tangible plan to do that. But it's not my job to train up your families to love the Lord. I'm here to help you. I want to see you succeed. We're, going to, we're in it together, but ultimately, it's your responsibility to train your kids to love the Word and to love God through the Word. Be an example, be a leader, be a teacher. That's the end of the man rant. <laughs> but married ladies, if your husbands have a responsibility to lead, doesn't that follow that you have a responsibility to submit and obey and to follow their leadership? If your husband is concerned about your devotional habits or an author you're reading or your overly busy schedule, you need to listen to him. His concerns are worth a charitable conversation. You should seek to understand his point of view. Sometimes wives can get frustrated that their husbands aren't great leaders, and sometimes that complaint is justified, but sometimes it's a subtext for my husband isn't leading me in the way I want to go. You want your husband to be a better leader in the area of family devotions? Support him. Support his efforts. Even if it's awkward, praise him and his efforts in front of your kids. If he wants to read scripture and pray with the children, rearrange your schedule to be present and encourage the little ones to listen to their father. He's giving them the words of life. Don't be the reason that his initiatives fall flat. All of us, men, women, children, all of us are in a different place in the discipline of meditating on God's word. Some of us read the word every day. Some struggle to read it once per week, once per month. Who knows? We're all in a different place. Some of us read it every day, but we do it mechanically out of a sense of duty rather than out of love. It takes time and discipline to build a habit, but the turn of a calendar year is a good time to evaluate and make plans to improve. Success isn't always measured in the amount of time spent. The goal isn't an hour a day, two hours a day. That doesn't mean you're godly just because that happens. The goal is a renewed mind. The goal is being a person who craves scripture, delighting in God's word so much that it spills over and affects others. That being said, let me rapid fire 10 practical tips to increase your Bible intake, and these are just realistic and simple. You can write them down if they're helpful. You can ask me about them later. But 10 practical tips to increase your Bible intake. Number one, right when your alarm goes off in the morning, grab your phone, listen to a Bible app as it reads you a chapter of Scripture. It's better to fill your mind with the Bible first thing in the morning than it is to spend time on time-wasting websites, social media, Number two, have a pile of index cards with verses on them that you're trying to memorize at the breakfast table and review them as you eat. Number three, pick a time of day that you will be able to consistently have your devotions. Same time every day. If there's an emergency or you have to change your sleep schedule for some reason on a particular day, you should have a 
uh, plan B time slot for that day. But the same time every day is a great way to ensure that there's room for devos. Number four, read a short scripture as a family with supper every evening. It could just be 60 seconds of reading. It doesn't have to be much. It could be a paragraph or two. 60 seconds every day would be better than, you know, 20 minutes every other week. So I think consistency is key. Number five, use your commute to listen to scripture on your way to work or on your way to the store after you drop off kids at school. Many apps have the ability to read the Bible to you. You can take advantage of this feature. Number six, listen to scripture as you do mundane tasks around the house, like dishes or yard work, scooping snow. Or a plan B here, if you don't want to listen to it on your phone, ask your spouse to read you scripture while you do dishes or while you sweep the floor, while you do something mundane and easy. One spouse read it out loud to the other. Number seven, as the last thing in your day before you climb in bed, read a psalm. You could also consider reading a psalm to your children as you tuck them in. Number eight, ask your kids what Bible verses they've learned about in Awana or Sunday school, or ask someone else's kids what they've learned about. And then read those verses together, engage them with questions. Number nine, text a fellow church member and ask them what they've read in their devotions recently. Read some of those passages and text them again, sharing what you found interesting or helpful. Number 10, if you find yourself constantly running to a particular app on your phone. If it's every time you have two minutes to stand around and wait for something in line, you're pulling out your phone and you're getting this app. Consider deleting it for 30 days and putting a Bible app where it used to be on your phone. So when that muscle memory kicks in, you open up the Bible app and you can spend two minutes refreshing yourself in the Word of God. These are just some ideas. Adapt them to your life. Figure out what works with with your stage of life and where you're at. But remember that the goal is not just to get more scripture. It's not just to get through the Bible as quickly as possible, but it's to shape our affections into the mold of scripture by meditating on it over and over and over again. And I'd like to finish today by asking a second question. I want us to consider not only an individual application, but a corporate application. Is in our text, Jesus combats the devil's temptation by quoting scripture. With his knowledge and delight in scripture, he resists the temptation of the devil. What we read is recorded not only in the book of Matthew, but also in the book of Luke. And it's interesting that in both of those gospels, there is something, some literary technique going on. Uh, that makes it sound a little more precise than it is, but the order of events is similar in both Matthew and Luke that uh, record this story. So it goes, baptism of Jesus, temptation of Jesus, and then Jesus starts his public ministry in both cases. Right after Jesus beats the devil's temptation, he starts moving his ministry into the public sphere where it can be seen by others. Right after demonstrating that he was full to the brim with God's words, Jesus then begins to share those words with others. So my second question is, have you considered the relationship between your intake of scripture and our ability to fulfill our mission as a church? Jesus didn't begin his public ministry until it was clear to everyone that his life was built on scripture. And our mission is to glorify God 
by making disciples in a community of grace. How can we accomplish this goal if we aren't full of Scripture ourselves? Because everything that we have as a church, our buildings, the congregation, the members of the church, the programs and schedules, the staff, all of our resources are meant to serve this mission of disciple-making. And disciple-making refers not only to the people in here, but the people out there, right? The ones you work with every day, the ones you see at the park and at the grocery store, we want to bring them out of the community of darkness and into the community of grace and make Jesus followers out of them. Have you considered that you must be full of God's word in order to minister effectively to the people out there? In order for us to reach these people and fulfill our mission, we must be overflowing with scripture so that it pours out of us. What do we have to offer these people if it's not from the Bible? You're friendly people. My wife and I have felt your kindness as the, as the new people here. We recognize that you're friendly, and I don't want to diminish how meaningful that is, but kindness alone will not convert the spiritually dead. It may give you an audience. It might make them listen to you. And when that time comes, when the time comes that you have the ear of an unbeliever because of your gospel-centered kindness, it's my prayer that you'll be so full of Scripture that it bursts out of you like a raging river behind a plugged-up hole. And you say, let me tell you why I treat people this way. Let me tell you why I have joy in the midst of hard circumstances. Let me tell you why the people of Calvary Baptist Church are so kind and nice. It's because of Jesus. Let me show you from the scriptures how Jesus changed our lives. That's how we're going to reach the community, by being full of scripture so that it spills out of us. And if you do that, they'll either be converted or you'll scare them away. (laughs) And that's a success either way. Because God gets glory when we proclaim his words. It fulfills our mission because we either make a new disciple or we prove that we are true disciples. Because true disciples share the word. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Calvary Baptist Church, eat up. Feast on his words and share them with others. Read the Bible this year. Build it into your daily routine. If you're too busy to read the Bible, you're too busy. Put away time-wasting distractions. Men, make it happen in your households. Share the gospel with someone this year and support the church when it attempts to get involved in the community. I know that you've done some outreach in the fall before I was even here, uh, and I heard it went well. Uh, Lord willing, the youth group is going to I'll lead the way with a couple ideas this spring on how we can get involved in the community. One of them involves the gym. One of them involves the parking lot. And if you'd like to be involved in that out- outreach, uh, you can reach out to me if, you'd want, if you want to learn more. We have to share the word with others. We have to demonstrate that we love it by our willingness to share. The people of God must feast on the word of God in order to fulfill the mission of God. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for the opportunity to gather. We don't want to take 
it for granted that we can come under one roof and open scripture. We can read it freely. It can be preached. It can be sung. We don't ever want to forget the kindness it is and the freedom that uh, we have freedom to do this in this country. Thank you for giving us your word. Pray that our services would constantly be built on it. Pray that our lives would be built on the word that we would determine our priorities based on what you've revealed in Scripture, that you would make us eager to share with others what you have done for us, pray that we would see unbelievers baptized into our community of grace this year because your people are full of your word. Give us boldness to share your word with others. Give us a desire to share it. Help us to feast on your words this year and after. We ask this in Jesus' name.